Jude 6 is about angels and a sin they committed that caused God to become so angry that he locked the perpetrators in everlasting chains. What can we learn about angels, judgment, and God from this passage in Jude? Our study continues with Dave reading verse 6. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment in the great day. Now, what in the world is Jude talking about? Well, we have a group of angelic heavenly beings. What did they do? They were given positions of authority by God, positions of responsibility. They were to oversee a certain part of his creation. They abandoned the heavenly realm. As soon as you die, if you're a believer, you're going to know a whole lot about that heavenly realm. Right now, it's like there's a wall there. We don't know what's beyond except what the Bible reveals to us. Paul was taken into this heavenly realm, and he started to write us a little bit about it at the end of 2 Corinthians. And the Lord says, no, Paul, don't tell him too much about it. And so Paul put down his pen. The book of Revelation opens up the veil a little bit more. We get to see a little bit more of what the heavenly kingdom is like. And then John puts his pen down. But what I want you to realize is, though it's hard for us to believe it from a human standpoint, the heavenly realm is more real than the realm that we're living in right now. In the modern world, it's very easy for us to kind of relegate that back to our childhood days. Now we've gotten real sophisticated. Now we've gotten very scientific. Technology is doing so much. We don't have any place for angels. That was fun in a, in a pre-scientific, superstitious age of folklore. Not true today. I want to warn you about that. And I want to warn myself. Be very, very careful of that unbelief. Because the spiritual world, from a biblical standpoint, is very real. Jesus believed in angels. Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus believed in that heavenly realm, that spiritual realm. It's very important for us to believe in that. Because that spiritual realm, that heavenly realm is influencing you. If you're a born-again believer, there is the Spirit of God moving in your heart even as I speak this morning. There's also another realm that's saying to children, don't pay any attention to that. Saying to teenagers, go ahead, just talk all the way through the time. It says don't pay any attention at all. Disrespect. Don't honor. There's tremendous powers that are at work right here this morning. And I know they're, I know they're that, that way. Because this has been a very hard message to get ready from the book of Jude. So I know there's tremendous conflict that's going on. I also know that some of our own young people raised in our church have been raised with the teaching and they've walked away from it. And they're not here this morning. They're out there in a place that's very dark, very violent, could be very harmful. So what we're doing this morning is very strategic. There is this angelic realm. And what we're studying here from Genesis chapter 6 is a story about some angels that invaded the earth. A lot of modern men are looking for an invasion from beyond, but they're not willing to go back into the Bible and read about some invasions that already took place. I want you to go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 6, because that's the place we find out 
this story about some angels that left the heavenly realm, they abandoned their position of responsibility, they came down to this earth, and they got involved in immorality. Genesis chapter 6. Very early in the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When men began to increase in numbers on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. Now the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. And the Lord was grieved that he had made men on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord God said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. What's going on in that passage? Well, if you read it just in the book of Genesis, you would kind of say, well, it looks like some men married some women, and God really got angry about it, and that's really not fair. And so why did God suddenly you know, destroy all the earth? You could read it from that level. Some of the sons of men saw some daughters of men. They married whoever they wanted, and... God got very upset about it. But that's not at all what's going on in this story. First of all, the phrase, the sons of God, it's used consistently in the Old Testament for angels. Job will talk about the sons of God. He's speaking about angelic, heavenly beings. This story was interpreted to be angels in Judaism and in Christianity until 200 years after Christ lived. It wasn't until 200 years after Christ lived on this earth that anybody felt that the sons of God were mankind instead of angels. You say, well, what about the Lord Jesus' statement in Mark where he says that angels aren't married or given in marriage? Doesn't that mean that angels are sexless? Not necessarily. Can angels take a human body? Every time that angels appear in the book of Genesis in the early chapters, they're... they're interpreted to be men. They are taken and identified as being men. In fact, in chapter 19 of Genesis, which we're going to look at in just a minute, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, two angels went into the city of Sodom, and the people of Sodom thought they were men. So this whole idea, you see, well, you see, we like to be authoritative and say, well, I know all about angels. Angels can't take human form. How do you know? How do I know what angels can do? Are you an authority on angels? It always tickles me what scholars will say about what angels can do and what they can't do. As if they observe the behavior of angels. Now, if a scientist is telling me about the behavior, like if a, if a zoologist is telling me about the behavior of porpoises, he can be an authority, she can be an authority about that. She can look at porpoises. She can spend a lifetime observing them and make a lot of good deductions about them. But I just haven't met a lot of people that have seen a lot of angels. And so I'm a little bit weary when people tell me what angels can do and what they can't do. The straightforward reading of this text, I believe, says that some angels left their heavenly realm. God had given them responsibilities in that heavenly realm, very possibly to oversee some aspects of the creation of the earth. The scripture teaches in the book of Daniel that angels are over the nations, that when there's war among the nations, 
It's a reflection of unbelievable wars that are taking place in heaven. And very possibly these angels who were supposed to in some spiritual way be over the managing affairs of the earth for a positive way abandoned their heavenly position. They came to this earth and they married some, some human women and the re- result of that were these giants, the Nephilim. The Hebrew word Nephilim refers to the mighty ones. Now, if any of you can remember anything from mythology, every culture on this earth, just about, has some story of an invasion from the gods. There's some story, like if you're in the Greek culture, there's a story of the Titans. The story of the Titans. Almost every culture has some kind of a story that talks about giants. If you're an Englishman and you go way back in English folklore, there will be stories of giants and slaying dragons and all that kind of a thing. Well, I believe Genesis chapter 6 gives us a pre-flood, accurate account of the origins of many of those stories. Because what did happen is, according to Genesis chapter 6, these angels came down to the earth, They got involved in sexual relationships with the women on the earth. They generated kind of a genetic mix between these angelic beings and these human beings. And they were the giants that conquered much of the earth. And things became so bad. In fact, as the Jews began to develop this, if you read the Jewish accounts as they develop these stories, and we can't be absolutely sure that they're giving an accurate tradition, But the Jewish accounts say that these angels taught mankind all kinds of evil. And pollution and perversion became intense on the earth, as Genesis is saying here. Then God looked down and said, I will destroy mankind. The points that I want you to see that we're sure of is that this did involve, from the book of Jude, an abandoning of a place of authority and immorality. I want you all to listen to me. Immorality will always, always involve abandoning a position of responsibility. It will always involve abandoning a position of God-given responsibility to go out and do what is contrary to the will of God. And that's what makes immorality so serious. Now, our culture makes a big joke about immorality. And I cringe for our children growing up because the media, everything you turn around, it is assumed in our culture that you will have premarital sex. It is assumed in our culture that you might be faithful in marriage up to a point, but then when somebody else is more enticing to you, it's only normal to go over to them. If some enchanted dream comes over you, Go ahead and get involved. And the idea, the idea of living in a marriage, because God wants you, wants you to do that, and raising children, and being faithful, and being sure they have security, the idea that that should take precedence over a tremendous desire that I have is almost, I'm, it's like speaking to a brick wall in our culture. What Jude is telling us is there is awesome problems with it. God is very, very upset when people abandon 
their position, their role. Some teenager will say, well, you know, what's wrong with it? I mean, we're not married yet. Well, the girl that you have sexual relationships with before either one of you are married, one day could be somebody else's. They could belong to somebody else. Do you want somebody doing to your future wife what you do with that girlfriend or with that boyfriend? See, that's what the Scripture's saying. The Scripture's saying that our body doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. The Lord has ordained for us to use our bodies. The Lord planned for me to use my body for Mary and for Mary to use her body for me. And if I would have, before marriage, used my body with somebody else, I would have been abandoning the plan of God for my life. Now, God can forgive that. I want every one of you to realize God can forgive you for that. Some of you didn't come to know the Lord until you'd already been very much involved in immorality. And some of you were raised in homes where you weren't taught any differently, really. Now, God can forgive. And I want everybody in this church family to realize the blood of Calvary can forgive. But don't we? We must not dare to make the blood of Calvary cheap. You see, you'll never understand Calvary unless you understand that those that get involved in immorality might burn in hell. You see, one day a whole mess of people will stand before God the Father and God the Father will judge them accurately and say, you are immoral. You slept with women that did not belong with you. You slept with men that did not belong with you. You were immoral. You abandoned my commandments, my morality. And I take it very seriously. And you never responded to my son. You never let him forgive you. You will be lost in the lake of fire forever. Brothers and sisters, that is going to happen. And that's what's wrong with our culture. Nobody believes it will. A comedian can't make it in our culture without joking about sex. It's assumed. It's the air that you breathe. It's just something that you're sprayed with. Every movie you go to, almost every book that you read, will just take it for granted. Sexual immorality is the norm. I've got to make it clear to you. And I've got to make it clear to myself. It is not the will of God. It will hurt you because God loves you. That's why he's so strongly opposed to it. It's like getting run over by a car. There's unbelievable demonic influence involved in it. It's not just a physical thing. There are very deep spiritual forces that are at work in sexual immorality. And way back here in the very beginning of time, the first flood came upon mankind because of a sexual perversion that involved cataclysmic, even angels were involved in it. And what Jude is warning us, Jude is saying to, the, to the, those he was running to, if God judged angels because of sexual perversion, because of abandoning God's position of authority, then don't you chance it. That's the way he's teaching. He's a strong, godly father. Some of you fathers, it just breaks my heart, and I want you to pray for me. I would say one of the big dangers of my life is that I'm passive. I can be strong with you, 
but not strong at home. When I was growing up, I would have been afraid to disobey my dad in a good, holy way. Not because I didn't think my dad didn't love me. See, some of you might have been raised with some dads who were abusive and angry, and they spanked the living daylights out of you, but they never loved you. They made you go to church every Sunday. Man, they made you toe the line. And you hated them for it. Because they were totally inconsistent. They didn't read their Bible. They didn't act in a Christ-like way. They just made you be religious. So some of you are bending over backwards not to be like that. And you're going to make a mistake on the other side. You see, it's just as big a mistake to be passive. Anything you want to do, kids, you make up your own mind. You're mature. You don't really need guidance. You don't really need me to warn you about some things that will destroy you. You make up your own mind. You know a whole lot more than I do. Look at all the things you've learned about computers. I can't really guide you morally. And after all, I don't want to turn you off about the things of God. Brothers and sisters, we are dealing with much more serious realities than to be able to take a lazy, fair attitude. You know what kids desperately need today? Daddies that love, that play basketball with their kids, that at the table talk with their kids, daddies that hug their daughters, that give their boys time and camp outs. But we also need some daddies that the kids know, boy, if I ever disobey daddy, I'm going to catch you know what. Because that's where they learn how to be protected from a much bigger daddy. This is not modern thinking in the book of Jude. I promise you it's not, but it's true. And it's what gives you health. I will ever be thankful that Mary had a dad who she was afraid to disobey. She told me many, many times as she went through her teenage years, the reason that I didn't get in trouble sexually is I was afraid of what my dad would do to me. Good. You ought to be afraid, and so should I. And ultimately, you ought to be afraid of a really big daddy. Why shouldn't you husbands walk out of your house this afternoon and go clubbing in Dallas tonight? Why shouldn't you mess around with some other women? You ought to be afraid to do that. We joke about lightning from heaven. But what you should be afraid of is one day you'll stand before God and God will say, what about that afternoon? What about what you got involved in? God's going to call us all to account. Now, it's a marvelous thing to be able to look at God and say, God, I know it. And you and I have already talked about this. When I was on earth, I really sinned against you. And I realized I did. And I said, oh, God, your son died so I could be forgiven. And I ask you to forgive me based upon the blood of Jesus. And God the Father will look at you and he'll hug you and say, I don't even remember that it happened. You're as white as snow. But the New Testament, the book of Jude, is warning believers, don't ever take that blood for granted. Don't ever walk out that door of your house and walk into the arms of another woman or into the arms of another man and think that God won't call you to account. He destroyed an entire race of men because of immorality. 
Now, how bad can, can it get? The next illustration is heavy. Sodom and Gomorrah. Turn over to Genesis chapter 19. Homosexuality had become rampant for both young and old alike in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And rank sexual perversion. There was homosexuality. There was also the kind of perversion where Lot would say, just take my daughters. Daughters, what would you think of a father that would do that? The only way that Lot was saved in some ways is because of Abram. Because God loved his uncle. Now, we, in all justice to Lot, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament culture, hospitality was thought so highly of that Lot would do just about anything to protect someone that had come over the roof of his, under the roof of his house. But what I want you to see is that you're dealing with a culture in Sodom and Gomorrah where homosexuality became so bad that two strangers wouldn't dare spend the night in the city park. You wouldn't dare spend the night in Sodom, the city park. You'd be abused as a man. Now, this is in the Bible. And sexual immorality was so perverse that Lot would say, well, take my daughters. You know, you're HCD said, you can go either way. Take them, abuse them. You see, they took it very lightly. If you would have been living in Sodom, it would have been the way to go. It was the natural thing. There were lots of ministers in Sodom that were saying, people are born like this. We all happen to be born in sin. See, a homosexual is born as a homosexual. Just like I was born in my natural man to be immoral heterosexually. It's the same thing. Same kind of desires at work. Just like I was born with a desire to steal and to lie. And to do a lot of other things and to covet. So were you born that way. A homosexual is born as a homosexual because they're born sinners. Now, not all of us are born with that specific sinful tendency. But what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah is all moral restraint was taken away. I'm sure if you would have been visiting in Sodom and Gomorrah and went to church at Sodom, the equivalent of church, they would have said, we've got to be progressive. Some people are heterosexual, some people are homosexual. We all need to be tolerant of one another. It really doesn't influence the way you live. There's really no danger for the little boys that might be exposed to it or the little girls. Everything is going to be honky-dory. It's just another alternative lifestyle. And they would, those preachers would have been labeled as being very moderate and very tolerant and part of the new wave of thinking until fire came from heaven and destroyed the entire area. You know, you cannot stand by the Dead Sea today Today, thousands of years later, without being reminded of the judgment of God, I've sat at the southern end of the Dead Sea and just sat there on Masada, looking out over that area. And as you see barren wasteland, nothing grows, an entire ocean in which no life can live, no fish, no wildlife, just a dead sea. You look over acre upon acre of land, no farmland, no wheat, no barley. There was a day when you could look over that valley and it looked like Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. And Lot chose that farmland. 
because it was the best land in the whole area. And today, you couldn't support a goat on that land. Why? Because of sexual perversion. Because an entire city, an entire five-city region fell into sexual immorality. Does God take it seriously? Well, we don't. And I'm tempted not to because it's the air that we breathe. But God the Father takes it very seriously. An entire city, an entire region was devastated. In fact, Sodom and Gomorrah and the southern end of the Dead Sea in rabbinic studies became a symbol of eternal damnation. In fact, some of the Jewish rabbis argued that, that hell was directly under the Dead Sea because there's awesome seismic activity that takes place there and smoke and everything else comes up from that area, the surrounding region. Well, I'm not saying that that's where hell is. But what I am saying is that there's objective evidence as you look at that devastated area that God takes sexual perversion seriously. Now, what happened in Jude's day? What Jude is arguing is that the false teachers that were trying to pull God's people away were identical. They were part of the same group as the wilderness generation, part of the same group as the fallen angels in Genesis chapter 6, and part of the same group as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what did they do? They took lightly God's moral commands. The false teachers were saying, we're above all that. We've been saved by grace. We don't need to worry about obedience. We don't need to worry about sexual purity. We can just do whatever we want to. Didn't Paul teach us the end of the law? And Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God's judgment will still fall upon those who are immoral. If we have really come to Christ, if we have really come to know Him, if we have really received a new life, then by God's grace, we will by His power choose not to be part of a wilderness generation. We'll choose not to be part of an immoral generation. We'll choose not to have a part in perversion. You see, if you've really, really been born again today, something really happens, and you can never be the same again. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com.